0: Amen. You can be seated. As you, you might be aware, we're not in uh, Ephesians today. And that's in part because I, uh, I preached this sermon last week out at the uh, the uh, one-year anniversary of our Silverton location. Um, yeah, can we clap for that? Yeah. yeah. We're still alive. It's awesome. Yeah, so one year in and... Um, Man, have a ton of people out there. It's, it's going really great. Just excited about what God is doing there. And um, I just felt like this message was the right message for them. Um, and then I uh, came back and some of the staff thought that I should uh, preach this here as well. And so I, I thought I would. Um, but we'll be back in Ephesians, Lord willing, here um, in the uh, next week. Um, yeah, so we're in a period of time where... It feels like everything's in decline. You can feel that way with the economy, but you can feel that way with our, our country in some ways. And you can even feel that way with the church today, where there is just this, this sense of a, a lackluster response to God. There's a sense of like um, a, a complacency that has like overtaken us in some ways. There's there's a sense of like this has just become rote and this has become something that we have just been doing for a while, for those of us that have been a part of the church. There's a sense in which it's like, I, I kinda don't really need church that much anymore. I don't really need God that much. Because we've become self-assured somehow through COVID. It kind of wiped a bunch of people out. Like many people in the local church just decided to stop attending. And then they just basically, I think they figured out. They didn't have to go to church for a few weeks. And they realized, you know what? I don't really have to go to church to continue doing what I'm doing. I don't really have to uh, be, be around Christian friends. I don't really have to be in the Word. I, I can just continue to do what I'm doing because I'm basically doing uh, Americanism. I'm, I'm just, it, it, it's fine. And so many of my friends uh, who have churches, their churches have shrunk 30, 50 percent. Many, many of, uh, lead pastors that I know are just in this place of just feeling like, man, what is going on? And where is everybody? And people left mad and uh, all of this stuff. And, it, and it's, and it's hard and it's difficult. So, and so what I, what I was thinking about is like, what are we doing here? I was talking about in Silverton this last week like what are we doing here like we have this amazing venue out there which is like this old barn and um, it just looks stinking cool and there's there's these string lights and like man it is so cool except for the fact that the thing rattles when the subwoofers hit other than that everything else is is fine but what what are we doing here and I would ask the same thing right here and right now what are we doing here what, why did you come today? And why are you a part of this? And what's going to keep you uh, in the fold? What's going to keep you not in the faith, not, not that you would lose your salvation, what's going to keep you a part of this local church? What's going to commit you to this place? And what, what should that look like? Well, I think this is really talking to a group of people who have become complacent. It had become rote. It had become kind of old hat and it is a nation that is in decline. If you look at this passage with me, it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now that's interesting because Isaiah doesn't date it according to the number of years that that uh, king reigned, which would be typical for scripture, but he's talking about like King Uzziah died. It's in the context of death. And so the first thing we have to ask is we have to ask, why does he talk about King Uzziah dying? Well, King. this is a little bit about King Uzziah here. He's a king who reigned for 52 prosperous and secure years. And then it says in 2 Chronicles 26, verses 4 and 5, it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yay, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. That's, that's amazing, he's being discipled by a prophet, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Here's this King Uzziah, like, it, life was going well. Life was, going, was pretty awesome. It was pretty great. It makes me think of the church over the years. It makes me think of evangelicalism as a whole, as it has grown in, in popularity, and as it had massive power. Uh, in the political structure, and as uh, it influenced politicians, and it did all of, all of those things, there's this incredible power, this incredible uh, albatross of an organization that works together and votes together and does all of these things that are amazing, like there was amazing success. In fact, the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary says this, biblical tradition remembers Uzziah As one who mended the defenses of Jerusalem, reorganized and re-equipped the Judean army, won and capably maintained control over numerous caravan routes to the south, extended Judah's frontiers at the expense of neighboring Philistines and Edomites, and suffered significant personal setback when he was stricken by leprosy toward the end of his rule." What happened there? What happened there? It's kind of ominous. Well, if you skip ahead in Second Chronicles to verse 15 and 16, it said in Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. I mean, this guy was an incredible leader. He was incredibly industrious, produced all kinds of things. It was amazing. And it says, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped by God, is what it's saying, till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What what is that saying there? Uzziah was a king that was amazing. Like so many things went well for him. He's incredibly talented, incredibly gifted, incredibly blessed by God. Similar to the church, similar to uh, our nation that we live in. Maybe similar to you, where you are at. Incredibly blessed by God. But one day Uzziah said, you know, uh, I want to go to the temple. And I want to take on the priest's role. I want to take on that role, and I want to go burn incense on this altar. Why? I don't know. Maybe he liked the smell. We're not sure. But he went in there, and he decided, you know what? I'm going to go burn some incense. And the priests were like, hey, Uzziah, don't do this. You are not a priest. You have not been set apart as a priest. You are not holy like a priest. You're not able to do this. This is not right. And he's like, I'm doing it anyway. And then like 80 priests st- sat there and withstood him and said, you will not do this. And Uzziah had some scepter in his hand for some reason. And he lifted it up. And it sounds like he was about to hit somebody. And all of a sudden, boom, He's struck with leprosy. God, God strikes him like that. He is struck with leprosy And what happens when you get leprosy in that culture is that you are set aside. You are ostracized. You are put out. You cannot go to the temple. You cannot uh, live with other people. He's living in another place by himself. No one's around him. He's estranged from God's people, from God's house. And he's stricken because of this. Because when he got strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And men and women, this is, this is a a king who is a symbol of a nation in decline. As this king goes, so goes the nation. This is similar to what's been happening in the church. In the church today. We we see this church that has taken up this great amount of space. It's like this massive tree that's just kinda been here for a long time, but there's been pride that's been growing there. And the symbol of decline that we see today is this, is uh, over and over again, lead pastors and people who who are supposed to be leaders are falling right and left. And what we're finding out is that all along, They'd been doing this all along. This has been happening all along. This has been taking place. This person was broken the entire time. There's a, just in the last uh, couple of months, there was a, another lead pastor of a massive organization, a massive church and worship ministry, got caught in a hotel with a woman. He was in there for 40 minutes and said, nothing happened, but everybody knows that that's probably not the case. And here he is, I I think these guys are a symbol of decline. And not just in the area of morality, but in the area of fervency for God. In the area of, of going like, like I have relationship with God, and I'm seeking after him, and I love him, and I desire him, and I want him, and I fear him, and I'm longing for him, and I need him. And then COVID hits and, and it's like, you know what? I think what's going on with us is that when we grew strong, we grew proud to our destruction. So Isaiah is prophesying to a nation that is in decline. And I think there's some words to us as he speaks to a church that is in decline. Not our church, by the way. Our church is growing, but I wonder where our hearts are at. Have we grown proud to our destruction? Let's look at what happens here. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now what's happening? Isaiah is one person in the midst of a nation that's in decline. He's one person who is a part of God's people. And some commentators say it sounds like Isaiah went to church one day thinking... Okay, just going to church, going to say the prayers, going to, going to talk the talk, going to walk the walk and say howdy to the greeter, going to, going to get, get seated, going to sit there, they're going to you know, do whatever it is that they're going to do in the temple there. But Isaiah went to church one day and instead of knowing some stuff about God or hearing about uh, who he is or, or anything like that, Isaiah went to church one day and all of a sudden he's struck with this incredible vision. It wasn't just that he knew something about God, it was like all of a sudden he knew God. Like something took place where he experienced God in a way that you and I don't normally experience God. And he's he's sitting there and he sees this vision. We don't know what it was. Was it a dream? Was it did he fall asleep in church and this happened? Like we have no idea. If anybody falls asleep here, like we'll just wonder if that's not happening to you. But he's he's in church, he's he he sees the Lord. Now John says no one has ever seen God, and so what we think is that he's seeing a representation of God. And he sees this, the Lord, and he's on this throne, and he's like, hi, hi, high, high up there. Which which makes me think in some ways, like I wonder if sometimes we come into church and we say we say, Hey God, how's it going? Just thought I'd give you a little bit of penance here. Thought I'd maybe say sorry for a couple things I did. Here, Throw an extra five in in the plate, whatever it is. I'm I'm gonna, you know, just be here with God. And God is like, we're just kind of equals here. Isaiah walks into church and he goes, whoa! He's high, he's lifted up, and like the train of his robe, fills the temple. It's like it is everywhere. The robe of the Lord is massive. It is huge. And he says above him stood the seraphim. We don't know much about them, but they are these winged creatures. And they have six wings. And what happens is this. They're, two they're uh, covering their face uh, and, and with two they're covering their feet. It is this posture of reverence it's this posture of i'm i i cannot look at this holy god i i don't belong here i'm covering my feet it is this posture of these heavenly beings that are flying around we don't know how many there were there's some scriptures and like in revelation that kind of make it sound like there might have been millions of these things that are flying around isaiah is having this this vision of this is the Lord. He's seated on his throne. It is massive. It is amazing. And then uh, one is calling to another and he is saying this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Do you think that's what it's saying? I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Can you imagine seeing this? Can you imagine being there and just going, what in the world is happening right here, right now? What is this holiness? What is this that I am seeing right here? Isaiah is seeing the sight of this God. And he is seeing the reverence that he is held in. Do we hold God in reverence? Do you? Do I? Do we have even a sense of who this God is? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. He's talking about His holiness. Ray Ortland, the great uh, pastor says that this is not just like, um, you know, holy plus holy plus holy. It is perfection times perfection times perfection. See, our understanding of holy is this. When you think about that word, you can think about somebody who is holier than thou. They're not somebody that you want to hang out with. You're like, you're kind of a punk. I feel like you're always judging me. I I wish you would go away. I don't really want to be around you. Because it's not really true. You're not really that good. You're not really that great. You're not really that holy. But what Isaiah sees is he sees this true holiness. He's experiencing this holiness. And it says this, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. What's, what's this talking about? It's talking about God. It's talking about his goodness, holiness. It describes, it's his justice. It's his mercy. It's his righteousness. It's like he is holy, meaning he is perfected in every possible way. He has all the grace in the world. He has all the mercy in the world. He has all the justice in the world. He has all the judgment. He has all the wrath. He has all the power. I mean, look at what Psalm 29 says. It describes this. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord uh, glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I don't know if you've come to church and you've been like, I want to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Whether you came and you said, like, I hope that, that they do that song. Or I hope that I like what they have to say. I hope that my kids have a good experience. This is saying, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It goes on. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Sarion like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Look at what that's saying. It is describing our God, everything that's good about him. It is his holiness that explains, like, this is the bigness of our God. This is how massive He is. This is how marvelous He is. This is how powerful He is. And Isaiah's getting it in one dose. The place shakes, it fills with smoke, and he's like, his knees start knocking, and he then says, woe is me, For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you see what I just described out of Romans? I'm not Romans, uh, Psalm 29. Do you see what that just said? What that just said is like, Isaiah saw this. Somehow in this vision, he sees this God, and he is, he has a front row seat. And he says, woe is me, I am lost. The NIV translation says, I am ruined. I don't have a leg to stand on. I'm completely ruined. What, what does he do? He goes, he sees God and then he looks at himself and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How do I know that? Because my eyes have seen the king. There's this massive comparison of himself to God because he's seen God. More than just knowing about God, more than just knowing about the gospel, more than just knowing a few things, he all of a sudden knows God. There's this comparison where he looks at himself and he just goes, I am nothing in comparison with this God. See Uzziah grew proud in his heart to his destruction. And he said, you know what? What's the big deal? I can go to the temple. I can do the thing that only the priest should do. What's Uzziah doing? He's climbing a ladder. He's trying to get high and lifted up where God is. He's trying to bring God down to where he's at. There's this massive comparison and and Isaiah experiences it. It's a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever had to perform or give a talk or something like that somewhere. Most people are absolutely horrified um, to do something like that on stage. But it's a little bit like having to perform right after someone else has just performed amazingly well. It's like you're, you're the next act on stage and it's just like, they just blew me out of the water. It would, for me, it would be like if Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers to ever, ever live, if he were sitting here, if he were alive, Uh, If he came to my church and he sat here, I would, I would be sitting here going, woe is me. (laughs) I am ruined. You should be preaching, sir. Like you should, you should come up here. It's, but it's not even Spurgeon. It's, it's like one of my, one of my peers that sometimes come to my church and, and you know they're traveling through Salem. I don't know why. Uh, maybe they uh, wanted to come see the Taco Bridge or something like that. But they're coming through Salem, and they stop. Most of the time it's to see me. But it all of a sudden it makes me feel really, really insecure. And it's because of comparison. What are they going to think of my sermon? What are they going to think of that? When you see the Holy God and who He is, when you when you experience him and and you might be sitting here and I, I i think you're you're probably a lot like me like i read that and i go okay that's words on a page like how does that become real to me how does it, how does that come, become real to to and central to my christianity to my relationship with God, how does that become real? And it's, it's experiencing the holiness of God. It's reading the truth about it and the Spirit of God that comes alongside of our spirit and, and He allows us to experience something. It's something mystical. It's not something that we can force. It's something that God can only bring to us. But this is what God does for Isaiah and Isaiah is immediately brought to this place of response when when he says, when I see who the holy God is, I look at myself and I just go, I am ruined, I am lost, I'm a man of unclean lips. Even just the smallest infraction of like saying a dirty word, gossiping. Uh, Saying an unkind comment that this is what Isaiah is saying. Like I like even the smallest thing I am ruined just for the smallest thing and the people that I live around are Are also in that same boat? So he's putting himself in the same boat with the rest of the nation that's in decline And he says not only am I ruined but they're ruined. We are all lost Because of this holy God. Because I just had a glimpse of the king. And he is the Lord of hosts. He's the guy who shakes the buildings. He's the guy who knocks down the cedars of Lebanon. He's the guy who does all of these things. And it is crazy. So all of a sudden he knows God. Isaiah includes himself. He identifies with these unclean lips. And these are the first actual words of Isaiah himself in the entire book. We're in chapter 6. It's the first time that he talks about himself. It says this in verse 8. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken, from, that had been taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. It's just an incredibly beautiful moment. Where it, and it happens one in the same time, where Isaiah comes to a knowledge of his lack of holiness, and his place before God. He comes to a place of understanding, I am here and he is way up there. And he is holy and I am not. And it's like God says, That's what I wanted you to see. That's what I wanted you to see. But here's something greater the tongs with the coal from the altar, the altars where sacrifices are made. And it's as though the seraphim grabbed the coal from the altar, which represents this, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he takes it and he and he touches it to his lips. It's it's like he takes it and he says, Hey, you remember that that sin that first came to your mind when you saw the holy God? Remember that one thing that sticks out to you all the time when you come to church? You know that thing? I am taking the finished work of Christ and I am touching your lips. It is atoned for, it is done, it is finished. It's completely over with. There's Holiness of God, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble, and then God says, that's where I want you. Now I have you where where I, I want you to be because now I can show you not just my justice, not just my wrath, not just my righteousness, not just my holiness, but my incredible, amazing grace. Like I've, you haven't worked for it Isaiah, you haven't done anything for it. I'm just giving it to you because now you see who I am and you see that I'm the only one who can forgive you. This is what he applies to Isaiah, is Christ's work on the cross. That's what he experiences. And what happens? Isaiah all of a sudden hears something else. He's experienced atonement. He's experienced Jesus on some level. Like he's experienced forgiveness. He is so grateful for that forgiveness. And he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Like immediately, like as soon as Isaiah... I don't think Isaiah is getting saved, I think he's getting rebirthed in a sense. Like this is, this is a spiritual awakening in his life. It's like maybe he knew about the forgiveness of God, I think he did through the altar and the sacrifices and the temple and the priests and all this stuff, but he knew about that, but he didn't see beyond it. He didn't see the God behind all of the rituals and all that stuff. He didn't see that God, he just saw the ritual and all of a sudden he's brought into a place of, it's not just the ritual, it's the God behind the ritual that saved me. And now he's brought to a place of like, it's like this giddiness of like, oh man, oh man, oh man. Like life, life has a, has, has a, a new look to it. Now I feel like, oh my goodness, what is it? What's God want for me? And God says, let's see here, Whom, who am I going to send? Who's going to go for us? You, you see that he said us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's a Trinitarian word there. Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, me, 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 here I am, send me. I want to go. I want to do it. See, here's what happens. When God has saved us, when God has brought us to an understanding of who He is, what He's done for us, and how He has given Himself on the cross. Like, what won't I do for Him? What don't I owe Him? What don't I need to give to Him? He says, whom shall I send who will go for us? He says, here I am, send me One commentator says, Isaiah finds that being joined to God means joining a missionary society. He's been brought in in order to be sent out. So Isaiah, he gets a call from God. We throw that around a lot, especially in Christian college. I'm feeling called to this. God told me we should date. God told me we shouldn't date. God, you know, whatever. It's like, what I love is that when somebody says, like, God told me that we're going to get married and then you break up, like, wait a minute, was God wrong? Uh, like what, what happened there? It sounds like uh, your ideas about God are not inerrant, all right? So maybe there's an issue there. He hears a true call from God. He hears a true call from God and he says, Here I am, send me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And what would God have Isaiah do? Like, let's think about it for a minute. Like, I got a call from God, he, uh, he sent me here. And, uh, and now, I mean, if I'm called by God, then it should be wildly successful. Like, People walk in the aisle every Sunday. People being baptized, whatever it is. I'm gonna share my faith with someone, with my coworker, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, Jesus!" Oh, and they're just gonna be all about. It. I don't know why they do that at work, but like, you you get what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, like everything I do it turns to gold. Like that happens, and this happens, and that, that happens, and I'm gonna be wildly successful because if God's in it, then success has got to be there, right? I don't know. God says, okay, good. You're in? You're in? Sounds good. Here's what I want you to do. Isaiah's like, okay, sounds good. Tell me. Tell me where I'm going. Tell me what I'm doing. And God says, I want you to go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. What? What? excuse, Excuse me, Lord. Did you just say, keep on hearing, but do not understand? Is it, that's what you want me to say to them? Like, that's, that's what it, you want me to say? Yep. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Oh, man. What's going on there? It's, here's some commentators talk about this, and I hate it. Because I hate the idea of God's patience wearing thin. But it's that God kept like, coming back to them, kept coming back to them, and kept coming back to them. And kept coming back to them. And he kept saying, hey, don't keep going along with the culture. Don't let those people in to what, to what you're doing. Don't participate in what they're doing. And they're like, nah, we're fine. Nah, we're fine. Nah, we're fine. And they got successful and they got big. And God says, okay. See, in the end, like one of the most tragic things that happens is that like God gives us what we want. God allows us to become more sinful because it's the thing that we want. It's the thing that we keep asking for. We keep resisting God and keep resisting God and keep resisting God and keep resisting God because we got big and we got strong and we got proud. And then God says, Okay. I'll allow it. And what's his word to Isaiah? I called you through my holiness. I called you through forgiveness and grace. I've atoned for your sins, but it's not so that you could be seen as really successful in your life. It's not so that you could have the sweet car in the house and that you could be a good Christian family so that you could go and do what I have asked you to do see i'm i'm going to ask you to go bring the truth of who i am but here's the thing that you're going to have to understand is that it's going to be hard it's going to be difficult it's gonna be painful. It's gonna feel like no one's listening. I don't know if anyone feeling that way right now, but like the landscape of our world in regards to the church, in regards to Christianity is changing so fast, it is making my head spin. Talking to teachers about what they're telling the teachers now, about like, here's what you're not gonna tell the parents of the kids that decide that they want to be trans. So basically we want you to lie to the children or lie to the parents about the kids. When you when you when you look at what's happening in our world and somebody and we're in the midst of Pride Month, and many of us are in this place where it's like, man, I I I don't hate people who are homosexual. I don't hate them, but at the same time, I can't wave that flag. I can't, I can't do that. I can't be a part of that. You look inside the church and you have people that are losing their minds, who do do not, they don't have faith in God, they have faith in politics. They're listening to conspiracy theories. They're, they're, it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's like, I don't even know what to say. Like why are you listening to that? Why are you listening to lies? Like my head is spinning. It's not just out there. It's in here. But it's also in here. The stuff is going on. And God says this to Isaiah. He says, I want you to go on a mission trip for me, Isaiah. And it is to your own people. And it's to people that claim my name, that are in my family, that that say that they're a part of this thing. And I want you to go, and I want you to tell them, the truth, even though it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be painful, it's going to feel like you're all alone, and it's going to feel like you're the only one. Man, how many times do I feel like the only one? Just like, we all believe in this stuff? God says, "I, I want you to continue doing what I've called you to do. Why? Because resistance to the gospel is as much God's plan as acceptance of the gospel. See, God's plan isn't thwarted because people reject Him. God's plan isn't thwarted because church people, so-called church people, have left the church and essentially left the faith and have, and are, have lost their minds in, in, in whatever direction that they go. Because resistance to the gospel is as much a part of God's plan as acceptance of the gospel. That's why. And it's not just going to be painful. It's not just going to be difficult. It's not, going to feel like, it's not just going to feel like you're all alone and no one's listening to you. Isaiah says, Oh, okay, God, uh, how long do you want me to do this? Verse 11, then I said, how long, O Lord? Tell me it's going to be just a few weeks, a couple years, part of a generation. Tell me that you're going to preserve our way of life. Tell me that, you're gonna, that everything's going to be okay. And That's not what God says in this situation. He says, how long, O Lord? And he said until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again." like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump." How long, God, are you going to do, do this? How long are you going to continue? See, we like, we like the first part of Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, 9 through 13 is another story, because it's depressing, because it stinks, because it's, it's rough. He tells Isaiah, this is going to decimate Israel. This is going to decimate Judah. This is going to decimate my people because they kept going on. They kept going on. They kept going on. And now it's time to clear the deck in a sense and the losses are going to be 90%. Do you realize that in Isaiah's day The church goes sideways. 90% of the church is gone, cut off. Do you know what can happen in the next few years? Do you know where we are today? We're this close to having laws passed that say you can't talk about this or that. We're this close to maybe experiencing experiencing some things like they did in the book of Hebrews. they, They lost their property. They lost their stuff if we're already not there. Do you see, what, do you see what's happening? Do you know how difficult, do you know how painful, you know how hard that's gonna get? Do you see the number of people in the church today that are turning against the church? They, have, they, they really have no idea. I don't even think that they're Christians. Tearing down men of God who are preaching the word faithfully. These people aren't Christians, they're Americans. And they tacked on some Bible verses to it. That's what they did. In Isaiah's day, it was 90% of God's people gone. Just gone. Do you know, what does it feel like when you're like one of, it used to be me and my mega church, and I was like, yeah, let's go storm the gates of hell. And now it's like me and like my kids, and we're like, are we doing this still? Are we going after this? Like, are we Are we going? 90%. Can you imagine if 90% of the church is just gone? There's 10% left. And God says, I just want you to be faithful. I just want you to be faithful. I want you to keep bringing the truth about the word of God, about what I have said about my holiness. I just want you to keep bringing it. Bring it with grace and truth, but keep bringing it. Keep bringing it, keep bringing it. Because many are going to fall by the wayside. Many are going to be lost. Many are not going to be with us much longer. But there's hope. The holy seed is its stump. See, this big, this big tree, God looks at Israel and he says, it's like a giant oak and it's cut down and it falls down and it's burnt. And then you think it's all over and it's like, no, let's just make sure it's really good and dead. So it's burnt again. And all that's left is this little stump. And this little stump is, is representative of Jesus. It's the holy seed, it's the offspring It's the offspring that's talked about in Genesis 3.15. It's the precursor of the gospel that says, hey, I'm going to send an offspring. I'm going to send a seed. And then here, we're talking about the same seed here. We're talking about Jesus. The stump is its seed. The holy seed is its stump, I should say. And what's he saying? He's saying, there's going to come a one, and his name is Jesus, and he is going to bring the truth. He's going to come. He's going to bring forgiveness. He's going to bring grace. And what I want to see happen through that is I want to see a faithful remnant. You're going to feel like you're a stump, but your hope is in this seed. Your hope is in this one. Your hope is in this God. And I just want you to remain faithful as a faithful remnant who's waiting for Christ, waiting for the Christ. This whole passage begins with a dead king and it ends with the king of kings who is blessed forever, amen, who will right every wrong, who will wipe away every tear, who will do all of that. That is our God. He is the one who saves us. Look, I don't know what brought you to church this morning. I don't know why you came. I'm not sure what what brought you here. Is it friendships? Is it someone told you about our church and you came? I'm so glad you came here today. But I just need you to know that I hope that you continue to come back, not because of the friendships that you have here, or the comfort that you have in the midst of this, but that you would come back because of the holy God who you experience here together with his people, and that he sends you on mission as you are told again about the coal that touches your lips, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're reminded of what he's done for you as you're told again and again the gospel, and you're sent on mission every week out into a world that will not listen, not hear, not see not any of those things, probably anytime soon. but God's word to you is this: I want you to keep going, no matter what, because I kept going all the way to the cross. Can I invite the ushers forward, please? Let me pray. For